This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. Let it bump. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hardwood Knocks podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with Andy Bailey. Um, Today, we are going to be talking about a topic that is near and dear to everyone's hearts this time of year, the madness in March that is the NBA playoff race. But first off, Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Dan, how are you doing? We just got a. It looked like it was going to be spring in Wyoming, but it just out again. So you're usually not safe here till about May, believe it or not. So is Wyoming falls like? Is it on the colder <laughs> side or? Yes, it's on the very, very cold side. This is what I love about Wyoming. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. People just don't know. I, it's just like this foreign land. It'd be like, yeah, like it's like the Dakotas <laughs> for me. Like I couldn't tell you the climate in the, in the Dakotas. Wyoming, I, without any data to back this up, I guess it's like one of the 10 coldest states in the country. See, I would hate that. I hate the cold. I live in New York, so it's not exactly it. warm all the time, but I, I hate, I don't want stark winters or any of that crap. My wife hates the cold, too. If you're looking for a good uh, Wham winter movie, The Hateful Eight, Quentin Tarantino. Wait, the what? The, <laughs> the Hateful Eight, Quentin Tarantino movie. Never seen You'll it. You'll see some That's beautiful it. Wyoming landscapes. Okay, so now that we've got the Wyoming filler out of the way, we can get to the actual topic, which would be NBA playoff races. We didn't really come up with a game plan before we did this because we're clearly A-plus podcasters. So I'll, Just I'll like basketball, game plans are overrated. Yes, except maybe not in this case. So I'm just, I'm just going to throw it to you and see which race you want to want to start with because there's, there's a lot. There's probably more than I think 
many people would have thought there would have been this late in the season when we're inside 15, inside 12 games to play. All right, I'm going to be, since you gave me the option, I'm going to be biased and go with my uh, my team that I like to root for in the league, the Jazz, and the, the battle for 4-5 with the Clippers. They actually got a pretty big uh, gift last night. The Clippers lost to the sub-500 Mavericks. Um, 538 still has L.A. projected to move ahead of them by the end of the season. Um I think it's borderline like critical for Utah to get fourth if they're going to win that first round series. And even if they do get home court, I I would still probably pick the Clippers, um, even with all their apparent issues that they've had recently. Um, what do you think about that four or five matchup in the West? I kind of just assumed at this point that it wasn't a race and that the Jazz were going to get it because the Clippers have not looked good. Even with, yeah, they've been really shaky. Even with Paul, I, I was watching, I think it was about a week ago, a little bit more than a week ago, that loss to the Milwaukee bus, Bucks at home was bad. It was just like the Bucks' crunch time offense wasn't good. It hasn't been good all season, but the Clippers just couldn't get any sort of traction, it seemed like. And then you factor in the loss against Dallas. They, they haven't really had convincing victories uh, of late. But now that I'm looking at the remaining schedules, the Jazz... I was just going to bring that up. The Jazz They're, have the Utah's hardest Utah's closing schedule. kick is awful. Right, and the Jazz have the hardest schedule in terms of opponent winning percentage of anyone in the Western Conference. So they go at L.A. on Saturday, which is tough. Um, New Orleans and Utah is fine. At Sacramento should be fine. Washington and Utah, I don't think that's a gimme. They, they probably should win, but Washington's been really good over the last you know, three or four months, most of the season, really. Then they're at San Antonio, Portland at home, Minnesota at home, at Portland, at Golden State, and then versus San Antonio. The, like, it's it's kind of a murderer's row. The, yeah, the thing I'll say about their end of schedule, when you look at the Spurs, Warriors, Blazers, to close out that stretch, who knows you hope if... for rest, yeah. Right, who knows if any of those teams will have something to play for. Maybe the Blazers will have fallen out of that eighth-place race. By then, the Warriors and Spurs, the number one seed should be decided by that point. So maybe you're not getting full-strength teams, or at least not those teams' best efforts on those nights. I'm not really worried about Utah, though. I just assume they're going to get the four seed. The more interesting fight to me at this point has become the Thunder and Clippers for the fifth spot. I already just have the Jazz in Yeah, I guess they're... I didn't realize Clippers and Thunder are tied in the loss column at this point. Right, and the Thunder have been a bit roller coastery this season, and that, that might be putting it kindly, but their schedule to close the year is okay. It's about the same strength level as the Clippers. It might be a little bit better, it looks like. No, it's that the, their remaining teams have the same winning percentage right now. So it's not that I think the Thunder are better than the Clippers, but just the way the Clippers are playing right now, there could easily be, over the next five games or something like that, this could be the stretch that decides what happens. And if Oklahoma City gets hot enough to make up that game, I wouldn't say the Clippers are playing good enough to to erase it. They have a game with Houston coming up, but then it's Dallas and Orlando, which whatever. Then you have the Spurs. 
but then it's the Hornets, the Bucks, the Grizzlies, the Suns, the Nuggets, the Timberwolves, and, and the Nuggets. Denver's a tough out for anybody, and they're trying to hold on to that eighth spot. But that schedule, with the exception of those Houston-San Antonio games, that's you can look at the Thunder yeah, and be like... that's not as scary. Yeah, imagine if they close the season... Could it be eight and three? Doesn't that seem fair that they could go eight and three or seven and four? Uh, yeah, that's in play. Where, where the Clippers might go, I don't know how many games they've left. They have thirteen left, I think. Right? Oh no, they have less. They have nine games left. Looks like, like if, yeah, I was just gonna say they're they're ahead of everybody so the, in terms of games played. I guess the Thunder need to go eight and three to get that fifth spot. I would say because the Clippers are probably going to be good for five and four. Um. Let me ask you this question: If you're let's so let's assume Utah is gonna finish fourth, I'm I'm not very confident about it. But if you're the Clippers and Thunder, would you rather play Utah or Houston? Is there any chance that one of those teams will like take their foot off the gas to try and switch matchups? I would still rather play the Jazz just because the roster as a whole is less experienced in the playoffs, and I look at that Clippers matchup specifically. I might actually pick the Jazz in a seven-game set with the Clippers. I would probably pick them in a seven-game set with the Thunder. But if you look at the season series with the Clippers, because that's the one I've watched the most of, it's been the Jazz's style. The games are these long slogs. The the pace is so slow. No one's shooting a lot of threes. The Clippers are shooting terrible on threes in those matchups. And yet the Jazz are still one and two in those nights, uh, in mm-hmm. those games. And I'm not sure if Quinn Snyder relying more on four-out combinations that have Rudy Gobert in the middle will, will change that because with the Clippers, they're most vulnerable when you try to force one of their bigs out of the game. Allowing Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan to kind of stay on the floor together without making them pay defensively because you're not running versatile enough power forwards that's kind of a recipe for a loss. And I liken the Rockets to the Warriors in that respect. Golden State slaughters the Clippers whenever those two teams play, it just seems. Blake Griffin, where does he fit in that matchup? It never looks like he's playing very well on the defensive end in them. And the Rockets have the ability to do the same, where they put these four shooters around Clint Capella or Mike D'Antoni very minimally, but he's tried it. You put Ryan Anderson at center, so you have five shooters on the floor. If you do that to a team like the Clippers, they don't have the personnel to really punish you and force you to adjust back to their style. So if I'm them, I wouldn't want to face the Rockets. And for the Thunder, that's my reasoning as well, just because they like to run with two traditional bigs at all time. They've doubled down on it with Taj Gibson at the trade deadline. And, And I think the Rockets can make those guys pay just because of how many threes they shoot how fast they play, and and just how they space the floor. The defensive mismatches they create are just absurd. Yeah, I think I'd probably agree with you. Um, The only thing that makes Houston like a kind of tantalizing matchup, I would think, is the the game slows down in the playoffs, as they say, and they go cold for, for two or three games. I'm not sure they have many other options they can go to. Mm -hmm. Um, so I and, and this is the old Achilles heel that's plagued Toronto in years past, um, but I I think in general I would I would probably agree with you. I think Houston is obviously the better overall team than Utah. I just wonder if Utah's roster makeup and kind of the way they play is more suited for playoff basketball. 
that that'll be interesting because you bring up the Raptors and DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry haven't been great in the playoffs together. And if you look at James Harden's performances in the playoffs, they haven't necessarily been exceptional. Exceptional, excuse me, I can't talk. 2000, 2015 was incredible, that Western Conference Finals run. But you look at, in Houston, he's barely shooting 40% from the floor in the playoffs. This team's ball movement seems a little bit better, and their spacing is is crazy good. I don't think his efficiency will suffer as much when you're when you're pandering to these more half court sets and he's been he's been great in the half court it seems like it, it is just an interesting dilemma because we see it with the Raptors where their offense isn't prided on a ton of ball movement at all so it kind of varies from the Rockets in that regard and when you get into those one-on-one situations or when you have to rely so heavily on those one-on-one situations and teams are game planning specifically for those situations it's so much harder to score. And the Rockets have been about average on the defensive end this year, which is good. That's fine for where their offense is. If you can have an average defense, that's incredible. But it will be interesting to see if it can be sustained in the playoffs because we've even seen the Warriors. It's not a knock on jump shooting teams necessarily, but we've even seen the Warriors struggle at times on offense during the playoffs because they're straying so far from their regular season comfort zone. Yeah, I don't think... um... Contrary to the opinions of a lot of people on TV, I, I really don't think it has anything to do with jump shooting. I think no. it's just the game slows down. It gets a little bit more physical. Um, maybe there is some correlation between a guy who only shoots jump shots and not being able to play physical. But I, I think it's mostly just about other factors. And, and again, so if you get to the playoffs, the Jazz have the potential to just thrive in that atmosphere because that's the game they want to play all year round. The red flag for me was just that's the series in the regular season they've gotten with the Clippers. And, and yeah, that's they true. still haven't played that well. And Joe Ingles, I think there's definitely a talent gap between those two teams. Like, I think the Clippers have some psychological issues that they're trying to work through this season. But if you just lined up, like, I don't know, the 10 best players on both teams, six or seven of them are going to be from the Clippers. Do you think? There's uh, the problem for them might be Chris that, Paul and Blake Griffin are one and two probably right. unless you want to. I think that the issue, maybe argue Gobert, but go ahead. The, the issue there would be star power to me, not necessarily talent level, because there's a chance that yeah, the that Clip, could be the Clipper. There's a chance that the Clippers on some of those nights are going to have the three best players on the floor, and that's where the risk lies. But just look at how deep the. Jazz are even if you wanted that's to put DeAndre Jordan I guess above, it does go- drop off a little bit after, after the big three with LA. Right. So I mean, position battles get a little bit dicey. Chris Paul wins the point guard one. You have to give power forward to Blake Griffin because even if you're playing Joe Johnson at yeah, the four, power not- forward has somehow become a mess for the Jazz this season. Injuries to favors have really hurt. Yeah. So, so you have to give those position battles to them. I think Gobert beats. DeAndre Jordan. I think that's a battle they win. The The Jazz are going to destroy the Clippers at small forward, even with Luke and Bamu playing out of his mind. Do, you, do we give shooting guard I, to the Clippers because Redick is, is so good? Rodney Hood give, could be even with him, I would think, if he's healthy. I give Clippers shooting guard pretty comfortably. Rodney yeah. Hood's had a really he's, weird season, too. He's plateaued, and I, I, we talked about this previously. I, I wonder if that's more the byproduct of 
all that depth on the Jazz roster, or if he's really just peaked or, or regressed in last season was kind of this anomaly. If you're the Jazz, you need to try and lock him up on an extension this summer because you could probably get him fairly cheap. Yeah, get him for a little bit cheaper. And I, you know, I, I think there's still a chance he's pretty good, but I think there's, I think this season has also showed us that, like you said, it might be a plateau. I mean, he was, I think, 23 years old when he was as a rookie. So right. that's kind of what worries people about those older draft prospects. So I guess to what you said, where you line up the 10 pl- players and six or seven of them are on the Clippers, the, the issue really, I'm not even sure if it's six or seven, but I guess the bigger yeah, it's issue is... probably not that high. Because who on the Clippers has the edge over someone coming off the Jazz bench? I'm not, I don't take Jamal Crawford or Austin Rivers or Maurice Spates over Certainly anyone coming off. Certainly not Crawford. I've, I've like had to eat crow on Austin Rivers. I actually think he's pretty good now. Um, I, I think don't he, think he's as good as Joe Ingles. Right. He's he's not awful, and there's a difference. And yeah. <laughs> I question how he would play if he's not surrounded a lot of the time by two superstars that draw a lot of attention. So I, At the I don't same wanna... time, though, I think Utah's bench has like been underwhelming this year, too. Like Alec Burks is – he's like – Random. Probably lower than Jamal Crawford level this season. There was that uh, game against the Thunder where it looked like that second unit, the Jazz were getting killed, and, and the second unit, I don't even know if it was the second unit, it looked like you had Joel and Ballenboy on the court, and it looked like... like yeah, it was the game where Snyder waved the white flag in like the third quarter, right? Yeah, and the Jazz like came back, and Burks actually looked pretty good. He was hitting some threes during that stretch, but he's been, he hasn't been good this season. Yeah, on the whole, I think they're... Trey Lyles has been really bad, like... Um, and then the Favors injury really hurt their depth. So maybe it's not six or seven for the Clippers. Well, uh, I but I think for, with that star power, I, I I still think there's a talent gap that favors them. Right, and I think that's the issue is because when you look at these shortened rotations, you don't necessarily need to have the, ex- yeah, that the exceptionally deeper team. I, I think if we went 10 players deep and you were just looking at individual matchups, it would be the Jazz who ended up with six or seven of the – the winners, but because they have at least three um, of the superior the players five, in the starting yeah. lineup, that's an issue. And knowing that there could be a fourth, depending on how the Rudy Gobert, DeAndre Jordan battle shakes out on a nightly basis. So it's really like when you look at the score, it's three, one, three to one to one, just because I think you can put DeAndre Jordan on Rudy Gobert's level to the extent that we say that's a matchup that's going to very nightly. It, yeah, it could go either way, yeah. And, and that might be the issue, which is why the Clippers might be a better playoff team than a regular season team. Yeah, if they, like, they're a team that still kind of, I wouldn't pick them to, like, go to the conference finals or, nope. or even to the finals, but if if suddenly they just started clicking, there's just so much star power there that I wouldn't be shocked if they went deep. How do you so? How do you think those th- that three? And I, I guess it's four. We should throw the Grizzlies in here too because they're only one point five back of the six seed. What do you see for one, two, and three? Is set. I, I don't yeah. think the Spurs are going to try and catch the Warriors. It's just set. The Rockets are a million miles in front of the Jazz and Clippers. And then number eight, we'll have to get to that. But it's mm-hmm. it's four five or it's four five six and seven. How do you see those shaking out? Um. Just looking at the standings right now, uh, my gut tells me it's going to stick with how it is. Um, 
I kind Actually, of... no, I'll flip because... So I'll say Clippers end up getting fourth, Jazz fifth, Thunder stay six, and Grizzlies stay seven. I want to be super contrarian, and maybe this isn't super contrarian, but I'm going to say Jazz at four, Thunder at five, Clippers at six, Grizzlies at seven. There's something about the Thunder, man. They're not, they're not good in the conventional sense, but there's just... When Russell Westbrook gets a triple-double, they're, they're nearly unbeatable. And I think that says a lot, not just about the triple-double itself, but just how good he is. For Just throw the if, MVP race out of the equation. It just shows how good they can be, even though they're not... He can honestly carry them. Like This team still isn't a good three-point shooting team. Before the trade deadline, they couldn't hit wide-open threes. It, it was ridiculous. And yet, they're just right there. And there's just something about them and then when you combine the way that the Clippers have been playing lately it's just it's this feeling that I have and it's probably irrational but I I do think they usurp the Clippers I think the feeling is you already mentioned it's Russell Westbrook anytime I watch the Thunder play anyone um, I think there's a chance they can win this game just because they have Westbrook I never feel that way against the Warriors, but every other team, yeah. Yeah, that's true. They, Good point. For some reason, I look, and I don't know why, but I look at the Thunder against the Warriors as I do the Clippers against the Warriors, that it's just yeah, not even a close there's competition. A, there's like a mental edge. There's like a little brother-big brother thing with yeah. those matchups. Um, so I guess this is pertinent to this, this playoff race. What happens to the Clippers if they get bounced? If they play the Rockets in the first round, they're going to lose. They're not going to beat the Rockets. What happens if they get bounced in the first round or if they get to the second round against the Warriors? 4-5 faces the number one seed, right, I think? Yeah, they do. Yes, yeah. So what happens if they get bounced in the first round or they just get destroyed in the second round? So first off, I the Clippers would scare me against about anybody in the first round just because, like I've said a few times already, they have so much talent, and if they suddenly figure it out, then – I wouldn't be surprised if they won a series. But at the same time, <laughs> I would not be surprised if they continue to be this kind of weird psychological mess and do get knocked out in the first round. Um, I think regardless, like you said, they're probably going to get waxed by the Warriors in the second round. And I don't, I don't see how they bring it back. I think Bill Simmons asked uh, Bomber about it on a podcast like a week or two ago. And he was kind of um, dodgy in his answer, but... This group has been together for, what, five or six years now? 2011, 2012 was the first year, so that's... so. Five. See, this is season six. Yeah, so not being able to get... And, and Reddick's been a part of the, the this core for probably three or four of those years. Um, this is his fourth, I think. I don't yeah. know how you can con- continue to just sort of pound your head against that wall. You can't. At some point, you have to start over, right? Right, but here's my thing. You can't start over in free agency, right? You like you can't justify letting. If you lose Reddick in free agency, I don't want to say it's whatever, but that's one thing. How do you uh-huh. let Chris Paul and Blake Griffin are still two top fifteen, top twenty at least guys? You can't let them walk in free agency. You have to re-sign them if they're willing and to stay, trade. and then you can trade them either after next season or at the trade deadline if you're looking to pivot because you can't start over without compensation. It just can't be an option. I know you didn't give up anything really for either of these two guys. The Chris Paul trade didn't yield anyone incredible. Um, and Blake Griffin, you drafted. So 
I just don't, unless they want to leave, but now you look at it, why would they want to leave? Especially Paul, who can get like a $200 million contract from them. And Griffin isn't going to be an all-NBA guy this year, but his, his max is still going to be bigger there than it would be elsewhere. Those guys have to want to leave, in my opinion, for the Clippers to be blown up. From a Clippers standpoint, you have to bring them back just to try and capitalize on a teardown. What if they do want to leave, though? Like, what if it's not... So it's been six years, like we said. What if it's it's grading on the players as much as it is on it probably title is. chances or whatever else? It probably is, but even then, they're probably still better off re-signing to try and get moved to a team. I Where are you going to go? And Chris Paul, specifically, because his max is going to start at, it's like 30 million, 30 point... Yeah. Or $35 million. He's eligible for 35% of the cap, I believe. He'd, he'd probably go and take like four from the Cavs, though. Right. So unless he's taking... <laughs> yeah. So where are you going? The Spurs, if they really wanted to, they can open up space. They'll, they'll be able... They, they'd have to dump guys. They can't just go into the offseason and, and play the does, rights renouncement game. But does he consider the Spurs? And then there aren't a lot of teams that can just go into the offseason, though, and... Offer Chris Paul a max deal. The Nuggets. The teams with max space are. The Nets. They're just terrible. Like the Kings. Yeah. I'm not even sure the Kings can get. It depends upon what happens with Aaron Aflalo and Anthony Tolliver if they bring them back or not. But yeah, so that's the issue there. If you're Chris Paul, where do you go? The Spurs. You mentioned the Spurs. That'd be interesting. But Uh, again, are the Spurs going to get. You need to get rid of. You would obviously be getting rid of Patty Mills. You have to renounce him in that scenario. Are you ready to dump? You got to have Ginobili retire, right? Or the, or he can come back like at the minimum, like he did the other year. That he's not the concern, but you you would have to get rid of Deadman, who's already going to be. How much to is keep. left on Parker's contract? He has one year after this one, and I, I would think that you it's you know you look at those players. It's pa- if Pau Gasol opts out, that changes things. But I don't think he opts out. Yeah, I don't think he would either. Unless you can, if you dump him, I don't know if you can. Maybe you can. Because he has been good there, but I honestly don't know if you can, or you would have to move Aldridge, or you have to move Parker. I think there's a loyalty aspect to the Parker contract. It, it would yeah. be really surprising if they moved him. Danny Green, you can't dump just because. There's he, been buzz about Aldridge for basically since he signed there. Right. Like, I wonder you, if anybody'd be willing to take on that contract. Yeah, is that a dump though? Would you dump that? He Aldridge would know. be interesting yeah. on like. You put him on, like, I'm trying to think of even this. If you put him on, like, the – would he be interesting on the Nuggets next to Nikola Jokic? He might be a little bit interesting there. Yeah. It would certainly make more sense than Nurkic did. Um, but I, the Spurs could get there, but they have to jump through hoops, and I think that would be the issue for a lot of teams is they have to jump through hoops just to sign CP3. And I, I, I don't look at the NBA and say, oh, these teams are willing to do that. Would the Bulls? They can probably do it if Dwayne Wade opts out. But why would can you, you play I, there? I can't imagine many big name free agents wanting to go to the Bulls in the, the near heat, future. There's the Heat, but they have Dragic already, so you're not doing that. There's the Knicks can get there, and if they decided to keep Melo, that would be, I guess, kind of a selling point for Paul. But they look like they want to get rid of Melo, and I don't know that's why any free agent that I can't see. Right, yeah, why would you sign there? Well, that's just. But that's my point: is where where do you go? And that's why. Other than the Clippers, yeah. So if you resign, then maybe there's a team that'll trade for you that's a little bit better, or it gives you more options at the trade deadline. I guess is what I'm getting at. 
maybe the Spurs are able to, they don't make trades, but maybe they're willing to make trades once you're eligible to be traded. Or maybe there's just another team that arises. The Nuggets could trade for Chris Paul so that the Clippers capitalize on his departure just so, and maybe he's willing to play with those younger guys because they're already good. It's, it's just such iffy territory. And even as I'm rambling, a lot of these ideas are just filled with holes. And the, the biggest problem of all is where can you go that when you're on that squad, you're going to be relevant to the point we can mention you in the same breath as the Warriors. The Clippers are the closest he's going to come except the Spurs. And yeah, again, unless he manages to get right. to the Spurs or takes like a huge pay cut to go to the Cavs or something. He would have to – the pay cut, if he took the taxpayers mid-level to go to the Cavs, it, it would end up being like a like a $30 million a year pay cut. I just don't yeah, – There's no way. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, – Go ahead. That's where I'm at. I don't think that if the Clippers if they lose in the playoffs, I still think this is a they bring them back a team that runs it back, and then they have to kind of face reality leading into next year's trade deadline, or maybe you just give it the season because you don't want to pivot mid season, especially when it means that your draft pick isn't going to be as good anyway. Yeah, it's just really hard to justify doing the same thing over and over for six, seven years when it hasn't worked. They would almost be – I can't even say that. They would be best served if one of them left. It just wouldn't – they might be best served in the interim if they're able to move on from Griffin and just do the pick-and-roll thing with Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan yeah. around them with shooters. But I don't think you could just let Griffin walk for that fact because you can't spend that money on another player. It would need to be a situation where in December they just, when he's uh, eligible to be traded, you flip him. What if they did signing trades this summer? Those are just so rare is the only thing. And the Clippers are capped out to the heavens that if you're bringing Chris Paul back or you have his cap hold, I don't think they're going to have the flexibility to really do enough in a sign-in yeah. trade. But maybe they would. And sign, sign-in trades just don't happen anymore, though, because there are just so many Yeah, they are a lot less frequent. Isn't that what uh, Miami did to get LeBron, though? That was, yeah, but that was before when they were still giving out six-year deals. That was okay, yeah. forever ago, and it was just kind of easier. Um, it's really this. I think this offseason is going to be really interesting because last year was like a knee jerk reaction to the new TV deal, and uh, I feel like I feel like every front office is going to be a lot more subdued and like cautious this summer. It'll be interesting to see how not just the Clippers approach this, but everybody. It, yeah, and it's interesting to talk about some of the free agents this year in the context of last summer. Imagine if Joe Ingles had hit the open market last summer. Like a free well, agent like that, where you have this undefined yeah. market value. Teams would have thrown so and this version of Joe Ingles. I know he was yeah, just okay. sort of that. I see what you're saying now, yeah. So, or I guess a good case that, like, look at guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. this year, Justin Holiday. Those are guys that could get – Andre Roberson is going to be fascinating to me because teams mm-hmm. are going to max out Porter and KCP, and maybe their teams just max them out themselves just to get it over with. There's going to be, there's going to be so many teams that like, signed one of those crazy contracts last summer that are already having buyer's remorse. The Blazers are going to be one of them because I don't yeah. know how you – I defended the Turner deal. I don't think they necessarily used him correctly once they did it, but – I don't know how you pivot. They don't even have roster spots. If yeah. they, they'll They're have in a weird one. Space. If they get rid of once they get rid of Azili, whose salary is not guaranteed. But if they pick up 
um, Connaughton's and Quarterman's non-guaranteed deals. They have 14 guaranteed contracts, and they have three first-round picks. It's just yeah. And the other problem is, it's I can't imagine trying to trade Turner after this season either. Right. It, it's or gonna, even Alan Crabb. It's going to create a window of opportunity for the teams with cap space too. That wouldn't normally be free agent destinations because we've yeah, reached a point yeah. this summer where cap space is once again a commodity. Because for, for undefined guys, we know that Stephen Curry is going to get the max from the Warriors, or we know that Gordon Hayward, even if he leaves, is going to get a max. Yeah. But for a guy like Roberson, it's complicated because he's a restricted free agent. But Danilo Gallinari, because he has a player option, that's someone who would, might consider a team that he normally wouldn't because cap space is a commodity. It might create these windows of opportunities for, guy, for teams like the Sixers, the Nets, whatever money the Magic are going to have. I think they'll have some. They won't have max. So it is going to be an interesting summer in that respect. And I am interested to see if guys, these versions of them, like Holiday or Ingles or even Roberson, let's say, will they get those pricey deals even though there's not as much money available? That'll be something interesting to watch because if they hit the open market last year, they would have been put aid. Yeah. Um, let's jump back to playoff races. I was, I think – we both kind of helped each other get off track. You're welcome. There. We should go to. Um, <laughs> Let's go Nuggets Blazers or yeah. eighth place in the West. It's is just it Nuggets just Blazers. Nuggets Blazers. Right? Yeah, that, was, that's that was my question. Dallas is three games back in a loss column with nine to play. That with, seems yeah, really large. I I think the Nuggets are gonna get it. They're just they've had the best offense and since putting Nikola Jokic in the lineup, the defense has been a little bit better lately, minimally, but it's not. It was the second worst defense in the league for the longest time, and now I think over a certain stretch they've been like 23rd or, or something relatively okay or not god-awful. And with that type and, of offense, if you can be less than absolute crap on the defensive end, or excuse me, better than absolute crap, I just Pulling Moutier out of that lineup really helped them too, oh, just God. going with the veteran Nelson and then it also opened up a lot of minutes for Jamal Murray. I, when they drafted Jamal Murray, my first thought was, I think a Murray-Harris backcourt is like way more intriguing than Moutier-Harris. Gary Harris is so good, and so is Jamal He's Murray. He's been awesome. There's just too many good players on the Nuggets because as these young kids look so good, you start to look at other veterans, Wilson Chandler, Will Barton, Daniil Gallinari. It's like, wow, they're all really good, but the Nuggets should probably move on from them because Murray yeah. is so good. It said, it said a lot about him, too, that the reports at the trade deadline were that they didn't really want to trade him for Paul George. I don't know if that's because they knew they were trading for Paul George when he didn't want to play there, but yeah, they need a star. It, but also, just, yeah, yeah, to say that they wouldn't give up Murray is a big deal. Um, since they put Jokic back in the starting lineup as a center on December 15th, their net rating is 8th. In the NBA, their offensive rating is first ahead of the Rockets and Warriors. It's crazy. Um, and their defense is last. <laughs> but still, I mean, that they're scoring 114.2 points per 100 possessions since Jokic became the full-time starting center. It's, That's like historic level and here, stuff. And here was what I was saying. Since the All-Star break, they're 24th in defensive efficiency. Not That's a pretty good. sizable jump, though. Right. So when you're, and their net rating is 5.6 per 100 possessions, 
which is in the top five since the since the trade deadline and it's a span of 15 games but still you're still scoring their offense hasn't been the best in the league that time but that's only because the rockets are nuts and pumping in 115 points and they're not that far behind the rockets in that span no they're point they're less than a point per 100 possessions that's crazy so there someone wrote this i think it was cal smith at nba.com when they were talking about who's going to give the warriors more trouble in the first round uh would it be the grizzlies if the warriors finish second or the nuggets if they finish first and I, I tend to agree, and I think uh, our former podcast partner, Adam Frommel, said it too. The Nuggets are bizarre because their identity like tries to sort of blend a bunch of different stuff where you see like the Rockets go one way trying to beat the Warriors at their own game or you have the anti-Warriors with the Spurs and the Grizzlies. The Rockets are kind of fast. They're a lot faster when Jokic isn't on the floor, but they still get up in transition. They try and make quick decisions, but they do it in the half court they're they're this unpredictable wild card where you can't say for sure this is the style they're going to try and play or that you've necessarily faced this style before and they're not going to beat the warriors by any means but they're they're an unknown in a great sense where a lot of unknowns yeah. are like oh, I like them better than the grizzlies oh for sure so this is a one game sample but they beat the warriors by 22 points um i already lost the date of the game back in february like right before the all-star break yeah they're um, the offense is incredible with with Jokic on the floor the yeah. defense is again if you're if you can be if you can avoid the top five that's going to be a minor accomplishment for them here's Jokic's line in that game 21 rebounds 17 points and 12 assists <laughs> i mean that's kind of nuts that's going to be a problem but not to not to the point that they'll win more than and like that's one. why they're scary is because when we look at the Rockets and say, well, man, maybe they'll be displaced from their comfort zone because they're not going to be able to play this full floor game. You have Jokic, and so the Nuggets are just super dangerous in the half court. If you do need to yep. slow down the pace, they're gonna be they're gonna be okay. And their point differential through three games against the Warriors this season. Do you want to know what it is? Yes, minus three 10. games. It's a it's a minus ten total, oh, wow, which is bad. which is pretty incredible. Um, do you know Cameron Pern on Twitter? Mm, I don't think so. How's it? How's his handle is How's it going? Which I think you'd probably appreciate. I love that. I don't know that I necessarily know who <laughs> he is. That's a fantastic handle, though. Um, I think he works for the Mavericks now, but he he posted some. I think it was him. Fairly recently, there was a cool video that SB Nation put out about Jokic um, being the best offensive center in basketball, and then Pern quote tweeted it, and I didn't know this, but he said that Jokic had a background in water polo, um, and I don't know a lot about water polo other than like watching a little bit of it here and there during the Olympics, but you can kind of see it with the way he plays. Like he'll stand at the high post and hold the ball above his head with with one hand, like he's <laughs> waiting yeah. in water, like a water polo player, waits for that open guy to pop open, and he sees it the second that guy's open, and the ball is there, like perfect time, perfect placement every time. Um, he does it on rebounding, too. He'll kind of hold one guy off with one arm and grab it with the other. Like, I just, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone in my life who plays like him, and it's, it's just incredible what he's done for the Nuggets. They've they've become one of the most watchable teams in the league to me just because of him. And you know what's kind of scary is teams, the way they play him when he has one hand on the ball, 
they're expecting the pass. So when he has two hands on it, I love it. they're guarding for him to score. And he's still like, he's able to throw these two handed passes anyway. Like mm-hmm. that one, who are they playing where he threw it like over his head backwards to, um, I don't yeah, know, I, was remember that. I don't know who they're playing, but it was a perfect, yeah. It was so, and it was just like, because no one, barely anyone can make that pass, but it's just interesting how much of a threat he is because the defense is now think when he has two hands on the ball, he's getting ready to post up or something. The other thing that's crazy is um, he's so hard to guard because he'll, he, he can just be standing there. And if you play him, he has that high release over his head. If you're playing him for the pass, um, he just brings the other hand over the ball and throws it in the hoop from 15 feet away. Like he's an incredible mid range shooter too. There's really no way to defend him. And I think the way that Mike Malone has basically tailored an entire offense around him is like credit to him too, to give him the ball at the high post and let everybody just run around and say, do your thing, Nicola. Like I, it's just so fun to watch. And, uh, it's, they, they are one of the most watchable teams in the league. Do you think, I guess to bring this back to the playoffs a little bit, do you think there's even a chance that the Blazers catch them? I know it's only a game I guess, right now. Yeah, I should probably look at remaining schedules for those teams. The Nuggets have the – they're about even. The Blazers the, – the Timberwolves have the easiest schedule in the West going forward, and the Nuggets and Blazers are tied for the second easiest. Hmm. I'm going to go with the Nuggets. I just – I think they're – I think they're more talented. I, I think that Nikola Jokic is the best player um, from either team. And I, I really like their depth. I don't really care for Portland's roster all that much after Lillard, McCollum, and Nurkic has been pretty good since going over, so I could probably add him too. But I just think top to bottom, the, the Nuggets have the stronger roster. That game, Tuesday, March 28th, between Portland and Denver will be the, the deciding factor. That's, that's, that's in Portland, too. Right. So, With, yeah, that is big. The Nuggets have not been terrific on the road this season, I don't think. They have a lot of road. I'm, well, I'm looking at the Nuggets. They schedule now. They got a bunch of road games left. Right. So they it's are, maybe a little more dicey than I thought it was. Right. Um, they have been, I think, I should double-check this, so I'm not saying they have been okay on the road since the trade deadline, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. No, they have the... It's a five-game sample size, but they have the second-highest road net rating since the All-Star break. And they just—I I was going to say they just beat Houston on the road, but I think they actually lost. They played Houston twice, close. Right, one was at home. It was a home, and it was kind of yeah. a home and home with a day of rest in between. But they beat—they beat the Clippers at home. Uh, their only remaining home games are against the Pelicans, the the excuse me the. I can't talk today. They're against the Pelicans at home. They're I think it's just Pelicans twice. and Thunder. Yeah, that's what was throwing oh, me Oh, Pelicans, off. Pelicans, Thunder, yeah. So at those the Thunder game will be tough just because I'm assuming Oklahoma City will probably still be chasing Los yeah. Angeles or Utah for that fifth spot. But, yeah, they do have to prove themselves on the road a bit. Tonight in Indiana, we're recording this on a Friday for anyone who's wondering, the game <laughs> in Indiana tonight will be a nice barometer because the Pacers aren't good – but they're borderline fantastic at home. They have. They're a- also still chasing that alternating wins and losses record. Have you heard about that? No. <laughs> Indiana has alternated wins and losses for like 15 straight games now. That's incredible to me. Isn't that weird? Yeah. 
They're scary. Their, their last game was a loss, so look out, Denver. They, they can be scary at home, too. They're undefeated yeah, there since really the, they're 5-0 and in Indiana since the trade deadline. And they put it on the Jazz uh, in Indiana recently. I keep, I keep picking against them in games at home because I'm just not sold on them, but the disparity in how they play at home versus how they play on the road is incredible. I actually picked the Nuggets tonight. They were uh, Nuggets plus one in Indiana, but at some point I'm going to need to learn that that's probably a stupid bet. But if the Nuggets can win that game, just, just like those are the games, like those are opponents. I know their record is technically worse than the Pacers, but Indiana is a team that they should beat on any given night. And I those, agree. Those are the games that they need to win. You look at at Charlotte, um, at New Orleans even, those are at Dallas on April 11th. Those are games that they, they need to win. And, and so this would be a good, at least, form of they almost, um They almost feel like the Jazz did last year to me. Like, they would play these teams, and I think the Jazz have more talent, but Utah would still lose just because they're, like, the younger, inexperienced team. And I think that's happened to Denver a lot this year. Like, I, I agree with you. I think they should beat Indiana, but it wouldn't surprise me if, like, youth got the better of them. Um, which is another that just makes me more because, excited about the Nuggets next year. Right, there there are just games and stretches. You look at it was when was it? It was at the end of February. Yeah, it was the back to back to end February, begin March. They just destroyed the Bulls and the Bucks on the road, back to back. Those are those are good quality opponents. Well, the Bulls aren't, but you're playing on the road, and the Bulls are weird at home, where they can be good randomly. Mm-hmm. That was just watching that. These both of those teams have better records than the Nuggets now, but those are teams that you expect them to beat. And if they can win a game like Indiana on the road, that's probably or that probably epitomizes everything they need to do to secure the playoff spot is yeah. win on the road against teams that they're supposed to beat in general. I agree. Speaking of the Pacers, though, they're involved in their own little. Yeah, that takes us to the East. Um. We can start at the bottom in the East because that's pretty much where every conversation with the East starts. I picked <laughs> the Pacers not to make the playoffs, so I'm seeing a little, feeling a little sheepish. Before the season or recently? Both. Okay. <laughs> before, before the season, I think I picked them not to make the playoffs, and then I did record projections, and I had them finishing outside, and I had Miami, Detroit, and Chicago getting in. And Detroit and Chicago have absolutely imploded, and the Bucks have been spectacular since the beginning. The of one I missed the most down in the East uh, is the Hornets. Yes, yeah, so we all missed there. That's crazy that they're thirty-two and thirty-nine, and have a plus zero point eight point differential. Yeah, I mean, I mean, while the Hawks have one of the worst point differentials in the East, minus one point two, and they're sitting on yeah, the fifties. Yeah, crazy. The Bucks. I wonder if there's any chance they slide out. Is there? So there's a way to separate this, right? So there's the top four. They're the three, the Boston, Washington, Toronto, are jostling for position. And you could throw Cleveland there because they're only a game up on the Celtics. And then the bottom four, where the, the Hawks could finish with the eighth seed, if you look at it. They're 2.5 games in front of the eighth place Heat. And the Heat have been the NBA's best team over the last 30 or 31. Yeah, I think, I think it's safe to say Miami's hanging on at this point. Um, this, this playoff picture. Who do you think is bumping stay. the Pacers? I don't know. I still think now I'm saying sheepishly that. Oh, okay. I got you. Like you, would, like you think we, they're going to hang on. There are 2.5 games and three in the loss column, right? Yeah. There's three in front of the Pistons and Bulls in the Chicago. loss column. The yeah. Bulls are terrible. The Bulls are a mess. The Pistons 
I don't, also a mess. They have this this summer because people were talking to me about how well they owe so much money they might just have to let KCP walk. KCP's their best player. They're not letting him walk. Yeah. If anything, they got to find somebody to take on Drummond or that's Jackson. What I, was, I was gonna say Drummond. I think they've they've outgrown him. You can argue that they can move Jackson too, but. If Drummond is you see that Jackson got moved to the bench in their last game? Yeah, I saw that. Then they got hammered anyway. And Ishmith, I think, has generally been better with the starters this season. So it's just it's such a weird situation, and there's no one answer. But if if they're going to continue to feed Drummond in the post, it's not it's not going to work. He's not a good post up player. No, I don't know why they're still trying that. I think a lot of people and Zach Lowe pointed this out too. Is if you want him to work on the defensive end, you need to do that. I'm just not – I'm past that in today's NBA. Past Same here. the Dwight Howard mindset where, yeah. no, you can score off pick and rolls. Just ask Clint Capella. Ask Hassan Whiteside. You Rudy can, Gobert. They, right. they never run plays for that guy. You can – and I like what the Jazz do where they, they ran – it was in the uh, Tim McMahon feature where they ran like a, a baby jump shot for him to start a game. You can do those from time to time. But yeah, Andre, that's it. Andre Drummond doesn't have to be in the top five in total post-up possessions. That's, no, that's not a good I'm, way I'm to pulling up his post-up numbers now because every time I do, I just find them hilarious. I can't even look at them anymore because my eyes start to bleed. He is sixth in total post-ups. He's posted up 297 times. It's about 290 times too much. Yeah. He's scoring 0.74 points per post-up, which puts him in the 17th percentile. What's his shooting percentage? Sub 40? Um, forty-two point seven. It's just not good. That's are, terrible. And what are what are the so the the five in front of him are any of them so as bad like, or close to as bad? Not close. And this is, I now that we're off on post ups, <laughs> I just think it's hilarious that people. I, I don't really get why people still try to do it. The top five in total post ups all score less than one point per possession. The most efficient of all of them is Brooke Lopez, 349 post-ups. He's been so at good. At 0.99. Yeah, he has been good. And I guess it does, like, if you if an, if an a defense has to, like, be honest or stay honest with post-ups, it, it opens up other things. I get that. Um, but to make it a central part of what you do, like Detroit is trying to do with Drummond, it just it doesn't make sense to me. I, I get it to some extent if you're a team – I know the Spurs aren't like post-up fiends necessarily, but if you're a team that wants to dictate the style of play and the pace and you want to work out of the post and you have guys who you can trust as passers, I get it from that extent because you're sacrificing a little bit of efficiency for control. You want to control the way the game is played. But if you're the Pistons, it's not working. It needs to stop. And if he he wants to be this post-up guy, you need to trade him and hope some team will take him. Because you're better suited. He should be a pick-and-roll guy way more yep. than he is. And he, he already does a lot of pick-and-rolls. So, Like I, Rudy Gobert just scored 35 points the other night doing nothing but pick-and-roll and offensive rebound. You can get yours by being that kind of player if you just buy into it. And you need – and again, you need like spacing to help with that, which the, the Pistons yeah, don't really true. have. That's a great point. <laughs> um, but – Again, it's too many post-ups. And the Pistons- this is my last point on post-ups before I like let go of this tangent. Um, so among guys who have at least 100 post-ups this season, there's only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven who score more than one point per post-up. 
DeRozan, Jokic, Kawhi, Cantor, Tobias Harris, Harrison Barnes, and Paul Millsap. It's funny that Harris is on there, and it's spectacular that um, Enos Cantor's on there. I always, yes. I try and I still try and just like detract from his value, but he's just been a monster he's, this season. Yeah, this season, like he's he's, I would say he's almost become like average defensively, and when you tie that in with how good he is on offense, like he's. He's a pretty serious weapon for them now. The best, the best team in the league at post ups is the Raptors. They they still average less than a point per possession. It's point nine nine. It's crazy. It's a tool that you can use, and I'll even argue, and just because in the case of the Spurs, who in terms of frequency and total post ups, it doesn't even matter when you sort it. They're fourth, and they use that to dictate the terms of play. But if you're not efficient enough in the half court or you don't have guys who pass out of the post enough, and Drummond's gotten better there, but if you don't have guys who pass enough, you don't have shooters who are, who are going to make defenses not collapse on you, and if you just straight up don't have guys who can shoot even semi-efficient clips with their back to the basket, it's just not going to work. And, and the Pistons, that they allocate 8.7% of their plays to post-ups, a majority of which are going to Drummond, is just yeah, it's, it's not it's not make good. Sense. Um, so how do we think to yeah, simplify this? What are the last four seeds in the East going to look like? Uh, exact order. Man, would it be crazy to? I'm just going to be crazy and say Atlanta, like Miami, continues to surge and gets all the way up to fifth. Oh my god, that would be spectacular. And I'm gonna, cause just because I think the East is that crazy, I'm gonna say Milwaukee stays six, um, Indiana seven, and Atlanta eight. So I'm just gonna have Miami and Atlanta flip flop. I do think the Bucks are gonna get the Hawk spot. I'm gonna have them at five. I don't know who I'm gonna put fifth. I so badly want to put the Heat fifth, but it's I can't see you the Hawks sixth? falling that. Excuse me, sixth. I don't see the Hawks falling that far. I'm going to go Bucks, uh, Bucks, Hawks, Heat, Pacers will get in with the eighth seed. I still just don't trust them. And now that I'm looking, they're only a game and a half, two in the loss column in front of Miami. Who has the better schedule? The Oh, wow, the Heat have the tougher schedule. But I do think that the Pacers mm. is, is more road heavy. You're raining on my crazy prediction. I, I could see it happen. I mean, it's that jumbled. The Bucks. Oh yeah, it's crazy. The Bucks getting back to the fifth seed after it looked like their season was over. Yeah, I the, thought they were toast. And that was before the Jabari Parker injury. They just they're they're. I looked the other day. They were thirteen and seventeen in games that went to crunch time, and then over their last five games since then that went into crunch time, they're undefeated. The offense is still kind of stagnant during those key down the stretch spans but the defense has been great and if you're going to be able to just control the clock when you're up or close and just be opportunistic that that's that's going to be big for them if they can start to win these close games as they've been doing that's going to make them very scary zach Lowe had a good point about them in his 10 things i like and don't like column today he said um basically middleton coming i I didn't think he'd come back as strong as he did from what sounded like a pretty rough injury but it makes sense that replacing more of a two-way guy, uh, basically slotting him in for Jabari, made them a little bit better. Um, he also pointed out that they'd probably be best off if they had all three of those guys. But 
the Middleton return, I think, has been really, really big for them. And the fact that they're doing this while they're doing whatever they are doing, I just used doing three times in the same sentence, <laughs> with Thon Maker is incredible. They're, they're, Thon Maker's had good games, but there've been, there was one game he played like two minutes or a minute or something, and then Jason Kidd just pulled him. He's been pulling him earlier and earlier He's done that like five or six times. It's yeah. weird. Why not just play Monroe? I don't get it. Uh, maybe it's like a superstition Jason Kidd is thing. a weird coach, can, man. Can we talk about how professional Greg Monroe has been? He's been awesome. Because his, really. he, his rim protection is picked up. He's still doing what he does on the offensive end. And I, I was in the Bucks locker room when they played the Nets sometime in, was it the end of December? It was something like that. Maybe the beginning of December. And he wasn't playing at that point. He was out of the rotation. And he was just still, like, it wasn't, like, his demeanor just, he wasn't, like, ecstatic and yelling and screaming and whooping, but he, he just seemed like the consummate professional, and he didn't seem unhappy. He seemed like he was talking to his teammates. And for a guy who signed on to be, like, the biggest free agent acquisition yeah, in franchise history, yeah. mm-hmm. that, like, to me, that that's a big deal. And I even said, like, they should get rid of him a bunch of times and I'm not sure where I fall. I mean, he'll be an expiring contract if he does pick up his player option, but he's not necessarily bad for this team anymore. Now, now that no. you're watching it. it, it's, it's probably, and I haven't looked up the numbers. I wonder how much of it is directly related to the fact that Parker isn't there because you, you can't really survive with both of them on the floor because you need someone who can dive and like jump passing lanes and really just rotate over really quickly and, and Monroe just is it, Parker isn't that guy yet. Maybe he gets there, and Monroe just that'd be he, an interesting thing to try and figure out. So, um, so he's just I you know shout what, out Greg Monroe is. is I yeah, guess I was going to say in his two years in Milwaukee, um, as kind of maligned as they've been at times, he's averaging nineteen and eleven per thirty six. And so whenever he's out there, like you said, he he produces. Um, do you know what Chris Middleton's numbers are this year? It's pretty crazy. I read Zach Lowe's column today, so I have an idea. Okay. Basically, 50% from the field, 48 from three, and then 15, four, and four. 15 points, four rebounds, four assists in he, less than 30 yeah. minutes a game. He's been awesome. He makes the Della Vadova signing look even worse because now you have another on-ball playmaker <laughs> who's better than – what is that? Brogdon, Antetokounmpo, and Middleton are all better on-ball playmakers than Matthew Della Vadova. Yeah. The, the Bucks are – if they can keep it going, I didn't. I haven't really looked at their schedule the rest of the way. I think they have one of the tougher ones in, in the Eastern Conference. But they that road trip was big for them. Their last six road games, they went four and two. They beat the Clippers. I, I was watching that game. It was just the Clippers weren't good, but the Bucks had a lot to do with it. And it, and those are the types of games they they need to win. And and that's kind of why I think they'll get to fifth. The Hawks aren't going to have Paul Millsap for at least one more game. And there's a chance that by tonight, there's a chance that those two will be tied for the fifth seed. The Hawks have the better conference record. I don't know what the head-to-head matchup record is, though. I'm looking at that now. But the Bucks could have the fifth seed very quickly. And the Hawks have been enough of a roller coaster where even if Paul Millsap comes back, um, you're not going to be able to say without question that they're going to... Atlanta owns the season series. I think they're 3-0 against the Bucks so far. So... Uh, they'll still have the fifth seed, even if they lose tonight and the Bucks win. But that's a—they're playing each other. Need, I actually think. They, they I'm going to need a major implosion from the Hawks for my prediction to come true. The Heat have been scary. They—they they lost on Thursday, and I, I do wonder how much Dion Waiters' absence is going to impact them. But your boy James Johnson, who 
needs to yeah, appear he's on been the podcast awesome this year. as he promised. I know. <laughs> I just need to be a little bit more uh, persistent with him. Maybe during the off season after he signs his mega deal, can he break yeah. it on the podcast? <laughs> you should. I'm gonna tell him. him. Yeah, I need to be the source on that. By the way, not the source, but the person who uh, reports it. Did you read this? He'll is, be this is related. Did you read the article at MMQB? They the guy who wrote it. I think Tim Rowan or his last name was Rowan followed around Adam Schnefter the first day of NFL free agency. Did you call him Schnefter on purpose? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I didn't read that piece. It was. I love that Adam Schefter is doing NBA scoops now, though. By the way. Oh wait, he's doing scoops too. I didn't. Yeah, go to his timeline. <laughs> he seems like he's very aggressive, and like, it's just funny the situations how he gets some of his information. Where players were calling Schefter for, um, excuse me, they were calling him for advice on contracts and teams in that article. Players were yeah, so it's just that's like crazy, like that to me. That's that must be what happens, um, like to Zach Lowe. Players have to call him. I'm I'm convinced now. Maybe the NBA is a bit different, but the fact listen that listen to this tweet from Ab Schefter, Hawks forward Schnefner, Paul Millsap, Schnefter, <laughs> Hawks forward Paul Millsap expected to void contract after season, become free agent. Per sources, loves Atlanta, would like to stay, but will look. That's right. I remember him saying that on the broadcast. <laughs> that's amazing. But that's something we already all knew. I want to see. I want to see Schefter. There we go. I'll pronounce it correctly now. I, I want to see him get like. I want to see him scoop like Woj on something. That's what somebody said that after the he made that Hawks report. It's like, let's get Schefter to go all in on the NBA and start like a a war with Woj. Well, it Woj, would just be awesome. Woj texted him on NFL free agency day. <laughs> and that, that, you need to read that article. I'll link you to it. Yeah, send that to me. It was, it was fantastic. Like Brandon, uh, excuse me, Alshon Jeffrey called him and like was asking him about w- which teams I think he should sign with, or if he heard anything about what other receivers were making. So it, it, it's just, that's amazing. It's incredible to me that this is how plugged in. That must be what Woj's is like. Then, excuse me. I know I said low. Uh, maybe he is one of those. Oh guys. yeah, yeah. But that has to be like. Woj in real life. What a life, man. Um, I mean, it seems hectic. I have to admit, I work my ass <laughs> off, but I'm not getting up at 4.30 yeah. in the morning. Um, but <laughs> enough about the scoops and back to the playoffs. So the Bulls and the Pistons are out. We decided that it's just the four teams yeah, that are in. Yeah, I think that's pretty teams. safe. So we should move to the top. I know you said, and the crazy prediction is the Heat get to fifth and the Hawks drop oh, to yeah. eight. You, the Cavaliers will love that, by the way. They're twelve and one against against Atlanta over their last thirteen appearances, oh, including playoffs. And those are two sweeps in the playoffs. Oh, oh in the first round. Yeah, yeah. I got you. So they'll the, the Cavaliers will love your prediction. <laughs> I think they're probably going to stick in first too. As not, as like feel good as it is to talk about Boston maybe jumping them, I th- I think they're probably safe. They're, you know, Cavs fans were getting pissed at people the other night. I think because they were talking about how bad Cleveland's defense has been and. They were they were saying, well, Cleveland really hasn't been hasn't enjoyed continuity, and you're getting all these players back. You're still missing all these players. The defense is still gonna. It, it's just concerning to me because I don't know if you can necessarily look at this team and guarantee they're gonna play the defense that they did through their last two playoff runs. That they can just flip that switch. I'm not sure if that level is there, 
I don't think Delavadova was that important to it, but his absence factors into it. Is J.R. Smith going to be as good as he was on that end? How much do you have to cover up for Darren Williams when he's in the game? Ditto for Kyle Korver. It's just going to be interesting. If Kevin Love plays defense the way he was playing when he was healthy at the start of the season, when he was playing pretty well, that'll help. But I just haven't seen it from this team, and I know they've dealt with injuries and blah, 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 blah. I haven't seen the stretch where they've been very good on defense for long enough to say, oh, yeah, they, they can reach that next level if they need to in the postseason. You're not uh, you're not sold on Larry Sanders, huh? No, I'm sorry. Something about not playing in the NBA since 2014 had really got I agree with you. I think, like, there was question marks about their defense um, in each of the last two regular seasons. And they, like you said, they kind of flipped it on. But there are more uh, worrisome factors in play this year. Corver's in his mid-30s. Darren Williams is in his mid-30s. They're going to need both of those guys to play pretty significant roles. Um, Mozgov wasn't great, but he was a big body who could, I think, was at least passable defensively, and I think helped them defensively at times. Uh, they don't really have that guy. I think they thought they were getting that with Andrew Bogut, who you know everybody knows what unfortunately <laughs> happened there. Yeah, that was uh, such a bizarre. Yeah, really unfortunate. But yeah, I think there's there's definitely more real question marks um, with this team. Kyrie Irving is always a question mark defensively. Basically, you've it, that roster has almost gotten to a point where it's like LeBron and Shumper. You guys, the defense is all on you too. I, I mean, who else do they have besides those two guys? They that you re- can say that's a use- plus defender. I actually, I Tristan watched, Thompson. Yeah, I haven't watched their last few games, but DeAndre Liggins used to be someone that they were like. Is he even playing anymore? I don't think so. I'd say I haven't watched their. I haven't really seen their last few games. I haven't looked at their rotations. Um, but I, I, what are we at the point where we're going to say, so, oh, J.R. J. Smith is your third most important defender, or maybe fourth, because, because Tristan Thompson is always right yeah, there. Yeah, Liggins I, doesn't I, I play anymore. Thompson, but. He played four minutes in the loss to Denver, didn't play against the Lakers, played 18 against the loss to the Clippers when no one played for the Cavs. So um, J.R. Smith yeah. is always going to take his minutes. The, the Cavaliers are kind of – they don't play. I don't want to get this confused. They don't play like the Rockets but their personnel is, is almost skewed in that direction. The difference is that you have LeBron. Like, Amon Shumpert is Trevor Ariza. Um, Tristan Thompson is their Clint Capella. Mm-hmm. And then there's just a bunch of shooters. That's true. I wonder... <laughs> that's kind of fun. Kevin Love is your high-end. Kevin Love is your high-end Ryan Anderson. Yeah. He's better on You know defense. what's funny is one night, um, Twitter was kind of going crazy because it looked like the Rockets were going to smash the single-game record for threes made. Um, and then I think it was like within the week, Cleveland actually broke it. Cleveland has like, I don't know what it is. They bombs, they just bomb away. I think it's like, that's one thing that's so funny about a lot of people who sort of hate the three point revolution and talk about how you need to go back to posting up and get into the rim and all that. They never cite the Cavaliers as one of the teams that's like a problem and is launching threes and they've <laughs> they've been at the forefront of this they're like right up there with the warriors and the rockets and they've been launching away for years because that's just the best way to play with lebron james i know it's the yeah. um the rockets that generate more wide open threes than anyone but they all they also take so many that it's kind of just like not, not that you expect it because james harden is scary but there's something about how open 
some of these guys are on LeBron James's drives, and it never seems like Houston's guys are ever that open. So, like, the, the Cavaliers are third in open three-point field goals attempted per game, just total. It's not, like, a rate. And they're shooting a higher percentage on those shots than the Rockets are. But it sometimes just seems like LeBron James gets these guys to have, like, 10 feet of room where James Harden yep. doesn't do that, even as scary as he is. Maybe because he's more focused on drawing contact, or maybe it's because LeBron James throws passes really far. But I think even Chris Herring of 538 wrote about how both Harden and James throw these passes so far. It's it's amazing to me that after all these years, this is my re- long-winded way of getting to this point, a downhill LeBron James going downhill, attacking the basket, is probably the scariest sight in the NBA. Yeah. He's still, um, I, I tweeted it out the other day, I can't remember the exact numbers, but since February 1st, he's like 28.9 rebounds and 9 assists a game, and shooting at ridiculous rate, like 54% from the field and 43 from 3 or something. He's not human. Like, yeah, <laughs> and when, I think he's turned it up a notch in this stretch, and I think there's another notch that he can go to in the playoffs and that he will go to. I'm uncomfortable like, I, with how many minutes he's playing. I'll say that. I think he'll be fine. I, he's, I, I've, I've determined within the last few years that he's, like you said, he's not human. Yeah. So <laughs> Any other normal human would have broken down at the, under this load at some point. Right. So he's spectacular. So the cats won. I guess I see that the, who do you give the best chance of beating them in a playoff series is probably the better question. We're in the From East. the East? Yeah. I, I think they're going to roll through the East. If I had to pick one team, um, I feel like Boston could maybe make it competitive, like win two in the conference finals or something. Yeah. Just like maybe one game where Isaiah gets super hot. Um, and I just think Brad Stevens is a really good coach. I But... I like I said, I think there's another level LeBron is still gonna go to when the playoffs start and I I think they're gonna have a pretty easy maybe not easy, they'll have a comfortable time getting to the finals. It might have been more I still think the Celtics could give them a real push and they, they probably would be my pick no matter what. It would have the Raptors, if Kyle Lowry never had that wrist injury and they had time to really get this yeah. roster to gel, that they would have been interesting, interesting with those trades. Yeah, I agree. But now, like, there's just this huge question mark covering over Lowry. Like you said earlier in the podcast, he's he has a history of struggling in the playoffs. You throw like coming off a of wrist surgery on top of that. I, the Raptors are kind of, I think they're in a somewhat precarious spot. And talk about less than ideal because now you're at a point where you have to reinvest in this roster to the moon. Yeah, their off season. Speaking of another interesting off season. Oh, that was that was the end of your point. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Uh, yeah, I mean, but they, I, I'm just agreeing with you. Like they've got a, they've got a. If, if they bring back everybody, they're going to be their payroll's going to exceed 160 million easy if they brought back everyone, which I don't think they will. So Abaka yeah, and Lowry think... are probably coming back. Uh, Lowry, I don't know why you get rid of him, and Abaka, I don't think you. Even though you didn't give up too much, I don't think you trade for him just to get, just to yeah. let him walk. But then, I mean, even that, say they just bring back those two guys and they still have DeRozan's contract on the books. They're still in. in With Carroll, yeah. I mean, they're gonna, we're going to hear a lot of Damari, Carroll, Jonas Valanciunas rumors over yeah. the offseason, is my prediction. 
Jonas Valanciunas seems like, I think we've talked about this in previous episodes, like that's the one that seems most likely. I, I just don't know where to, you put him. <laughs> that's the other thing is who's, yeah. his contract still isn't bad. Other- it's like you look at it, it's fine. He's making less money, I think, than Damari Carroll, or he's like getting Damari Carroll level money. That That's fine. But where? Like, where which are we team putting... needs this new age sixth man who's like an all offense? This new age sixth oh, man. <laughs> I mean, that's probably. Isn't that weird how that's at. how it's become? Yeah. Like, it used to be the shooting guard off the bench who was like the irrational confidence guy, but now it's like the Ennis Cantor type. Al Jefferson type, yeah. And Greg Monroe. I would have named Portland as a suitor. Before they got Nurkic. Now and, they got Nurkic, And yep. even Noah Vonley is playing a lot better. So I don't I don't look at a team. And now even Dallas, once they resign Nerlens Noel, they, you're not going to be like, oh, Dallas needs a center yeah. like we've been saying for the past 50 years, it seems like. I was, I was thinking about this the other day. There was – a lot of people were worried that the center position was just dying in the last few years. And now all of a sudden it seems like there's this major excess. Every yeah. team already it, has big guys and yet they're still – because we're not yeah, seeing as many part two, of it. two big lineups anymore. Yeah, that's true, actually. Good point. <laughs> so I don't know where you put I, – I don't know where you, where you would put Valanciunas. He would be interesting. I don't know what they would give up for him, and I don't even think you can make the salaries work. But if you wanted to make Jonas Valanciunas your new nene in Houston, bring him off the bench behind Capella, but – Valanciunas making a lot of money. I don't know who you would give up to match it. And then you got a Capella is going to be extension eligible or, or hit restricted free agency next summer, whichever time they decide to pay him. You probably don't want to invest that much in two big men in today's NBA. Maybe they should just see if Orlando wants to add an, another one too many centers. Yeah, Baca's gone. They've so done they have it an before. opening, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly looking. I can't, I can't find someone. Yeah, it's a lot harder to... I guess if Monroe left, would the Bucks need him? But you, you're already paying John Henson, and yet you have Mirza, uh, Don Maker. You're trying to develop, so no, not them. Yeah, you, you know what would be interesting? It wouldn't. I don't know why you would necessarily do this, but Jonas Valanciunas is is a much better fit for the Pistons than Andre Drummond. Yeah, if Van Gundy's really determined to have like a traditional post guy, that does make more sense and pass a little bit more. But, but then you've got to get Drummond. To a third team. That's got to be like a three-team trade, yeah. And I don't know where you put Drummond. That yeah, me neither. Maybe you put him in. I got nothing. The Kings aren't even going to want him now because Willie Cauley-Stein and Scal are, are playing really well. <laughs> There's, Never look, underestimate Vlade. That's true. But it, look, it's really <laughs> it's hard to place even Drummond then. Where are you putting Drummond? The Blazers would have been a popular destination, but again, you could argue that they're just better off with Nurkic at this point. I don't know where you. I don't know where you would put any of these guys. Maybe the Hornets would be willing to pivot to some extent, but they have Zeller. They traded for yeah, they, Plumlee. They've been they as long as Zeller's healthy, they're good. Yeah. So I got nothing. I got nothing either. All right. So that leaves us with two, three, four. The Raptors are locked into four. There's only do, actually. Do you think they could catch the Wizards? Their game back in the loss column. Um, I think they can, but if. I'm just going to go with what it is on those ones, Celtics, Wizards, Raptors. I'm going to say the same. The Wizards have been a little concerning lately, though. They, that, that Hawks game, it looked like on Wednesday, they came out just drunk, it looked like. They didn't really play good basketball <laughs> for the first two quarters, and they kind of picked things up towards the end of the game. But they I guess hot. I wouldn't be surprised, no matter how those 
that three four ends up. And the the Raptors have a really nice schedule to end it at Dallas versus Orlando versus Charlotte versus Indiana versus Philly at Indiana at Detroit versus Miami at Knicks and they close the season at Cleveland and the Cavs probably won't have anything to play for that night. That that might be their saving grace. I don't know what the Wizards' schedule is, but it has to be harder. Yeah, it's a little bit harder. So the Wizards' defense has concerned me, and they, they've lost, I think it was four or five at one point, and they also just aren't winning games as convincingly. That, that Hawks game would be a prime example. You don't have Millsap. They don't have Bazemore, and they still they won by four, and it got a little bit out of control toward the end, but, you know, the Wizards were just on fire for so long. We looked at them as kind of like the Heat, and I'm not saying the Heat are better, obviously, but where it was, wow, maybe that was just their new normal, that they're just going to rip through all these opponents. But they lose to the Celtics. They lost to the Hornets. They were outplayed by the Timberwolves and the, and the Mavericks. And, and they really, they, they blew, or no, they made up a big lead in Portland about a week or two ago. And they had to go to overtime with the Kings after the DeMarcus Cousins trade. It was like two or three weeks after. It's just you might be talking me to the Raptors now. So I, I might be talking myself into the Raptors. That's so that so the I guess the point would be that's the team to watch of those four in terms of slipping. It's not like you know, I don't think the Celtics are going to fall. I don't think the Cavs are going to fall. The Raptors can't fall. There's four point five games separating them. Yeah, five in the loss column from Atlanta. So the the Wizards are kind of the team to watch. They're the ones that might slip as opposed to Boston or Cleveland which I think are locked in. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I, I wouldn't really be surprised what happens with whatever happens with the Wizards and Raptors. But just for the sake of uh, making a prediction, I'll say it stays what it is. Yeah, same here. I guess it's not really a prediction. It's so much going with the grain. But, and I'm making the executive surprise decision to ditch Burns My Bacon <laughs> at the end of this podcast because we went long. Yes, we did. The secret code word is give me a secret code word so we could test and see who finished the podcast. And then we'll ask the um, catch the secret code word, and I'll give out. If anyone asks me on Twitter with the secret code word, I will PayPal you $10. Wow. Yeah. I just want to see. <laughs> That's amazing. The first person, say, though, uh, I'm not doing it for everybody. Okay, let's say uh, I'm looking around my kitchen for, like, random household objects. Um. Modem. Modem. The word, <laughs> the word of the podcast is modem. The first person. This is like the coolest thing anyone's ever done on a podcast. <laughs> Anyone who at me or Hardwood Knox or Andy on Twitter with the word modem, uh, I will see it. You can send me your PayPal information, and I will immediately PayPal you twelve dollars awesome. to account for a two dollar fee, or maybe eleven dollars account for a dollar fee, just to see who. Who actually gets to completion? We see the stats, but just to, just to see if it's like legit. That is brilliant. Um, on that note, I will wrap us up. This has been another episode of Hardwood Knox. You know me at Andrew D. Bailey. Dan is at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. Those are, of course, Twitter handles. Uh, I'm sure you picked that up. Um, <laughs> the show is at Hardwood Knox. Like us, uh, subscribe to us, iTunes, Stitcher. Leave us a rating. We'd appreciate all that. Um, and of course, can't end this podcast without a shout out to my man, Bino Udri. The 
iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.